Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Okay, I want to welcome my friend J.Y. Abone, Johnny Abone, back to the Agents of Innovation podcast. And you might have heard me say, back to the Agents of Innovation podcast. Welcome, J.Y. Thanks, Cisco. Thanks for having me back on and giving me a second chance to talk about some new and different things. Well, when I say welcome back, um, you know, you were actually on episode two way, way back. And now we're in the like one teens here. Yeah. One hundred and teens, I should say. Uh, so it's uh, it's been a long time. And that was actually over seven years ago <laughs> that we sat down on episode two. Also, it's funny. We're here in Atlanta where you live now. Yeah. And as you guys can see, we're on video. This will be on YouTube. Um, people can also listen to it on the regular platforms like Apple and Spotify. Was it on Spotify back then? No, no. Um, was it on YouTube back then? And JY was just observing all of the uh, equipment I've got here, which I've been using for a couple of years now. But um, And he said, well, this wasn't the case uh, seven years ago. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I said the case seven years ago was... We did it over Skype, and it wasn't video. It was just an audio call, and yeah. I just recorded it. So uh, hopefully I got all the technology working now. Yeah, no, it's, it's so cool to see just how things change and the things we use. But, I mean, that, that's the cool part when you start something. I mean, it should look different, I mean, down the road. So, But it's cool because, I, I mean, who uses Skype anymore? I mean, no one's ever said, let's get on a Skype call. Yeah, so. now when I do a, a podcast um, online, I do it over Zoom, right? Everybody's yeah. on Zoom. And... I'm starting to feel antiquated on Zoom because I'm starting to see other podcasters use all sorts of platforms. So yeah. I'm, I'm starting to ask, do I really want to go on another platform? But people are, uh, people are doing that. And so it's, uh, it's pretty cool. And people are using you know, some high-tech cameras and everything. So yeah, get, uh, it's also part of the iteration of entrepreneurs, right? We just kind of keep learning by doing and you know, trying to get better and improve. Yeah, and also from others. I mean, it's okay. It's, it's not stealing ideas. It's actually just learning and then seeing how you can use it for yourself. Um, I mean, that's okay, but that's how we learn, you know, yeah. what else is out there. So, uh, so JY, uh, j just to properly introduce you now, you're now the uh, founder and CEO of Abone Tennis. And his last name, if you don't know how to spell it, is A-U-B-O-N-E, Abone Tennis. I first met JY um, when he was playing on the Florida State University tennis team. Um, he was actually the number one player on the team. And at least I think at the time I met you, um, although uh, was Matt Clower number one when you were there? No, he, he was number one, but he was before me. Yeah. So, yeah. I, well, I remember. So the very first time I actually remember meeting you and I was recalling this um, recently because I was kind of reviewing uh, some of the, your story and the previous podcast and everything. And I remember I was actually out on the porch with my friend Dom uh, Lausick. And yeah. Does he, does he still he, live in Yeah, he lives here. Yeah. 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 And so... Um, uh, that's kind of funny, and and we were we were hitting, and, and I was like, who are these guys over here? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, well, that's number one and number two at FSU, yeah. and I was like, yeah, I feel like I'm not even playing tennis watching <laughs> these guys, like they're 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 incredible. And I mentioned something to you guys, you know, while we were playing, and then and then you know we connected a little bit more over the months and years uh, in Tallahassee. Um, you ended up becoming uh, an All American at FSU. I think I think they're only two time All American on the men's tennis team. Yep. And we just got some breaking news here today. Uh, uh, tell me uh, some honors that you're going to be receiving soon. So uh, I, I just found out recently that I'll be nominated to the Florida State uh, Hall of Fame for their athletic program. That's so. amazing. Congratulations. Uh, I mean, I can think of, by the way, people know I'm not a Florida State fan. <laughs> uh, 
I lived in Tallahassee for eight years. I just grew numb to the garnet and gold everywhere after yeah. a while, including on the tennis court that I was playing on that day. Uh, but, you know, Florida State has an incredible athletic program. I and mean, we know about all the amazing football players, baseball players, basketball players, tennis players. Yeah. So he's going to be uh, – how many – have there been – do you know? What other I think I'm the third tennis player. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. All men? Or there, is that a mix? Well, maybe there, there is on the women's. I just know on the men's side. Yeah. So, yeah. There's and Matt Clower, who, who you already mentioned. And I'm blanking. I think Joey Revae. The former assistant coach there, I think is him. That's so. awesome. So uh, anyway, congratulations, JY. So um, the other thing I remember, just to pe bring people up to speed. So we had you on in, when did you graduate college? 2010. 2010. I remember after 2010, you, and, and during college, you had played some professional tennis as well. And then you hung up the rackets. Yeah. And you were actually going into the world of finance. Yeah. And you actually worked for uh, a good friend of mine, uh, George Avant. Yep. Uh, and um, and and, I, and actually, George Avant partnered with uh, a, a good friend of mine recently. Actually, Tyler Houston. I don't know if you know. Oh, Tyler. really? No, I didn't know. All of a sudden, I look at like I'm like, oh, so Tyler, you've got my uh, you've got all my 401k retirement <laughs> plan. So actually, I've talked to Tyler Tyler a lot recently yeah, because yeah. when you're an entrepreneur, you need to figure out like you know what's going on with your uh, with your savings and your retirement and moving money around and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So. Uh, but anyway, him and uh, George are actually now, uh, I guess they, they paired up or whatever, they're partners. Um, but anyway, you were working there, and then, and then actually around that time, you, uh, you were looking for a room to rent, and then we were roommates for about six months or so. Yep. And you come home one, one week from Miami, and you're like, hey, I wasn't looking for another job. I like Tallahassee. I like George. But uh, my friend got me an interview at Morgan Stanley, and tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just an opportunity I couldn't pass up, you know, because... You know, I, my original dream was to, to, well, once I hung up the rackets, I needed a new dream. So the new dream became to, to work for a hedge fund one day. And so I was working, you know, it's a, it's a smaller firm at, in Tallahassee. And the job was to work as an analyst over at a team at Morgan Stanley in the private wealth management. So that's, it ended up being, as far as assets under management, the biggest office of Morgan Stanley entire. So bigger than their New York office. And, and so I interviewed and, well, I got the job and it was, it was one of those tough situations where I, I, all, most of my friends were still in Tallahassee. I love Florida State. I love Tallahassee. I mean, we had a great place, you know, where we lived. But I was like... Yeah, actually, you know, you were my grill master. I had a barbecue grill <laughs> out there. I never used it. And uh, JY always wanted to use it and cook. And I was like, yeah, you know, invite people over. Use the, uh, use the grill. So that was awesome. I miss those days. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, you should come over now because now I have two grills. Oh, look at that. So, and, uh, and yeah, I, I just couldn't pass it up. I'm like, this could open the door to maybe, you know, get me to a place that gets me closer to hedge fund. So I, I took it. Uh, I, I do remember being really sad on the way down, you know, but I, I was like, I got to do it. So, yeah. So you got that job and then I don't think you ever saw daylight again for a year or so. Through the window. I saw it through the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're living and working in downtown Miami, which, yeah. by the way, like Miami's blowing up right now. Yeah. And it was in the process of blowing up then, I guess. But uh, that was what, like 2011, 2012? Yeah, 20, 2011 to 2012. Yeah, I did 14 months there. So what was your like average day and week like then? Uh, 8.15 to 7, Monday through Friday. Uh, you know, sometimes on Friday we snuck out a little early. I can say that now. But it's not like I left at four. I'm talking about like six, six thirty. So and yeah, just just get in there. I'd, I'd eat lunch at my desk, and I usually eat breakfast at my desk because I was trying to sneak in every ounce of sleep I could. And I was usually one of the first people there, so no one cared that I was eating there. And I wanted to make sure 
I could eat before the market opened and the phone call started. So that was it. And uh, just sat there. I had, uh, I had three computer screens in front of me, you know, the, looking at a wall. The nice view was to my back, not in front of me. And three computer screens going all day long with either trades or Bloomberg screen or, you know, CNBC up in front seeing what's going on. Yeah. So then um, your tennis game went to crap. Yep. Um, you know, I don't know if I should say this on the podcast, but uh, you should, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you can say it. You're like, yeah, you should come down and play me. You'll beat me right now. And I was like, I won't beat you. And, and I and I said, uh, I said, I'll tell you what, if I beat you just thinking I would never you know, even have a chance against this guy. Uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll actually retire from tennis because, you know, at my age in my, you know, mid thirties or whatever at the time I was like, you know, there's, there'd be no greater, uh, feat for me to have than to beat like an all American from FSU who pl formerly played on the tour. So that wasn't even like a reality in my yeah. mind. Um, but you, anyway, so we go out and, uh, we play on like Christmas Eve or something. Uh, and actually it, you, you, it's like, it was like a whole different person. It was yeah. like, where did, where did this guy's game go? It was like absolutely horrible. And, um, somehow I get up, I think four one in the first set. Um, and then you come back to four all, you're like starting to find your game a little bit. And I was like, oh, here, here it is. It's all over. And somehow we battled it out for two games and I win the first set six, four. Yeah. And I like, couldn't believe it. And then we're playing, we continue playing the second set and I'm up three, two. Yeah. And, and this is where people, you should never talk, um, even to your friends. Like you should never brag. You should never trash talk. You should never, <laughs> cause we're sitting on the bench and I was just like, I just go, man, you know, I'm just three games away from, <laughs> never playing tennis again and playing golf the rest of my life. And he said like nothing. And I never won another game. He won <laughs> six, three. And then he said, you want to play a tiebreaker for the third or a full set? And we played a full set and I didn't see like another ball. Like he's just ripping winners from the baseline, six love in the third set. So I say all that JY because, uh, I advance a couple months. I'm, I'm up in Tallahassee. I'm hitting tennis with our friend, coach Kevin record. Yeah. And he says to me, hey, I heard a rumor <laughs> that JY is, uh, is out playing again, and he's thinking about going back on the tour. And I laughed at Kevin, and I said, no, 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 I just hit with JY. Like, I took a set off him. Yeah. Like, uh, no, he's, and he's got this, like, great job at Morgan Stanley and, and all that stuff. He's, he's not, you know. And so I just kind of, it just kind of went over my head. And then, I don't know, like, a few weeks, a month go by, and somebody else tells me the same thing. Oh, I heard JY is going to go back on the tour. He's training again. So I text you, hey, are you training? Are you playing tennis again? And you just gave me some cryptic text like, oh, you know, I always try to play tennis when I can or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I just went over it. Anyway, a few months later, tell us a story. So yeah, you know, it's, uh, I, I did. I, I gave up the job at Morgan Stanley. I guess when you had texted me, I hadn't like officially left. So I was just trying to keep it quiet. Um, you know, I, I respected the team there and I just didn't want to get that out until it was official. Um, yeah, I just, you know, I, I, I just reached a point where, I mean, I was legitimately miserable. I mean, it was, it was bad. I, you know, why, why were you miserable? You got a great job. This is the hedge fund life that you're dreaming of. This is where I found out a lot about it, It's, it's not so much about what you're doing, but just like the environment you're in. And I look, I, I still love the stock market. I still love all that. I mean, literally before we got in, I'm still checking the market today. I mean, I do that. It's the first thing I do every day. I love it. But just the environment, the team, the stress, the way things were operating, 
it was something I wasn't used to. I mean, I don't know if that was everyone else's experiences, but I just knew it wasn't for me. But I didn't quite know it, and I'm an athlete, so I signed up to do something. I'm not going to stop uh-huh. until I realized, like, eight months later, I'm overweight. I can't move, you know, and I'm just miserable. Like Francisco's taking a set off Francisco's you. taking a set off me, and I'm spending my Sunday nights actually dreading, you know, what am I going to do the next day? And, and I spent most of my time actually thinking, well, what am I going to even do with the money I'm making? I have to, like, start a business. I have to start something. I, get, I was already planning my way out, and I, was only, I didn't even finish my first year, and it just hit me, like, I, I got to get out. And playing tennis with you was one of the first things. And then I played a little bit more on weekends and like, I was, I was genuinely happy. I was like, wow, this is, this is fun. Again, you know, I'd lost that in, in college towards the end. And so I just said, okay, you know what? What if I went back and played pro tennis? I spoke to my parents about it. And I mean, I didn't have any sponsor. I had a little bit of money saved up. It's not like I'd worked that long, but I was like, look, this isn't about me like actually you know, I played the U.S. Open once as a wild card in 2008. I'm like, like I'm, let's be realistic. I'm, I don't think I'm going to get back there. It isn't about that. It's, I never played a full – my dream was always to play pro, but I never played a full year or two. So I you did those pro tournaments while you were still in college. In the summer yeah. Or, or, yeah. So I, I don't know what the full life is like. And I'm like, look, I, I know one thing, and that's tennis gave me the happiest moments of my life at that time. And I need to find happiness. And I don't know where this is going to take me, but I need to start down that sort of path. And it's funny because I remember after I told my bosses everything and they tried to convince me not to. And one of them pulled me aside quietly and he probably said the right thing. He's like, you know, financially, you're making the dumbest mistake of your entire life. And he's still correct. You know, he, he was right. But I said, yes, but that's not what this is about. And this is about something else. And that's where I, my life changed. So um, advanced, like just about two years from now, you're on the you were you were on the tour, I think, for about three plus years. Three, yeah, just under four. Yeah, just under four years. And I remember about two years in, you started blogging about um, your the how difficult it is for somebody ranked. You got ranked back into like the four hundreds or something. Yeah, right. Somebody uh, ranked at that level, uh, even somebody ranked in the two hundreds or or so. Uh, how difficult is it even uh, to to make budget, not just like that, you know, you're not even winning enough to, to, to stay, you know, have living expenses, basic living expenses. So I remember you put having like a graphic and we were blogging about it. So we had you on episode two. I thought that was super interesting and it actually made me think to myself, oh, wow, you know, like um, athletes are on, can be like entrepreneurs too in a way. I mean, especially the way you kind of plotted out, this is my budget, this yeah. is my expenses. I'm, I'm viewing this as like a business in a sense, like, you know, the first couple of years you might lose money, but then maybe by year three, you know, you might start making money. So uh, I had you on, uh, I think maybe not too long after that, um, the New York Times maybe caught some articles that were written about you and your blogging, and you actually were cited in the New York Times. And actually, I don't know if it's you, but maybe it's like a, a lot of things building up. But I remember within those couple of years after you started releasing that, maybe there was a lot more attention being paid to pro tennis players compared to say maybe like the, the golf tournaments and stuff where players maybe back in the two, three, four hundreds might actually be making a decent living in golf, at least finding that way. And so, um, uh, so you, you know, there's still a lot of attention on that. There's still a lot of disparities between the very, very top guys and, and those guys uh, just trying to make it so they can, they can improve and play. Uh, but anyway, how, um, tell us maybe what was your experience like during those, you know, almost four years on tour as a player and, and getting to live that dream? Well, you know, I, 
it's interesting looking back now i don't know if it was the best thing for my tennis to write that blog because my thought process kind of changed within that effort first year and a half i was doing great like i actually got to my career high ranking which was better than what i was doing when i was playing college so that was a great milestone i was like wow i'm actually better than what i was in college considering where i'd come from i thought that was pretty cool and then i started writing about it and as soon as i you know like my former boss said financial decisions i mean i was I, pretty sure I think I was losing like $30,000 a year and but and then it actually just started getting me thinking about it more mm. and, and and then it took away my, my thought as to just just do this for fun work as hard as you can see where it ends up then I actually started to pay a little bit more attention to well well how much am I bringing in how much am I spending I I was doing that before but it it didn't bother me as much but then I got to a point where I'm like okay at some point I need to make a living yeah and then I started focusing more on winning and trying to make a living and make money then I did actually again just enjoying myself and playing so I'd say like my last year and a half was a very different experience than my first year and a half um, so even though the, the blogs were getting a lot of attention I think looking back it helped my writing skills which is great because I have a website now and I write a lot of blogs but at the time it, it, it probably took my focus away from where what it originally was which is just be happy and play They're just this isn't a financial decision and I I didn't do it on purpose but I think subconsciously I started to make it one so I think it was episode 77 on this podcast. I had a professional soccer player on, Chris Mueller. Yeah. And it's funny. I, um, so Chris Mueller, if anybody, you know, at the time he was playing for my team, Orlando City. Then he's gone abroad and he played for a Scottish team. And he just got back into the MLS and he's playing for Chicago Fire. Uh, you know, that's his hometown, Chicago. So happy for Chris. Not happy he's now playing against the Orlando City. But anyway, um, Chris was doing some, um, during the beginning days of COVID, he started a book club. He started doing some writing. And anyway, I had him on the podcast. It was really cool. But the um, one of the last questions I asked him was something about, you know, Chris, I see you're doing this, you know, you're, you've got this book club. I see you've got this writing going on on the side. Um, you know, the lifespan of a professional athlete um, is very short. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he was 23 or 4 or something around the time I interviewed him. Um, you know, if he makes it to 30 in the pros, I mean, still, he's only 30, right? If it's mm-hmm. 35. I mean, Tom Brady's like an exception right now. Yeah, he's like yeah. 44. Yeah. And he's like, so I kind of just asked him like, you know, is this, where, what do you see yourself doing if you weren't playing soccer? And, you know, maybe there's writing, maybe there's other things going on. But he, his answer was, you know what, uh, as a professional athlete, I just got to be totally 100% focused on soccer right now. Yeah. That's it. Now, granted, Chris just wrote a book and published it last year, so uh, I guess he hasn't been doing just soccer. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I could see something was going on there. But I think maybe there's something to that, something to that mindset of just totally putting all your energy. One of the things he said is he goes, I don't want to look back with regret that I spent energy on other things or whatever, and I didn't put my full effort. And, you know, he was talking about nutrition and, you know, everything. Um, so, uh, but, J.Y., when you went forward from that point and you decided, what was the, um, so I want to ask you two questions here. What was the decision point, the final, like, okay, that's, that's it. It's been three or four years, whatever. Um, like, why did you make that decision? And then the second part is what was the next stage for your career? So, I, you know, going into my fourth year, uh, I mean, I got to the point where I'm like, okay, I, I do need to make some money at some point. If not, you know, at that time, I think I, I was already engaged uh, to my now wife. And I'm like, I, I, at some point, you do need to make some sort of money. There is a point where, okay, you kind of need to win some more matches. I mean, that's really the focus. Mm-hmm. And so I said, either I get to a certain kind of ranking this year to where I'm, I'm close to where I need to be or I'm done. And within two months of that year, I, I hurt my hamstring. 
had to get an injection. I was going to be out three months. And after the first week, I was like, dude, just, just stop. You know, it's, uh, you know, the year before I was already going backwards. My ranking was actually dropping. And, uh, so I just said, you know what, it's time to hang it up and no regrets. Cause I actually, I tried to do everything the right way. It just didn't work out, which is fine. And then well, I'm like, well, you know, I put so much time and effort into tennis, you know, I already tried a little bit of the financial world and I feel like I've learned a lot. So let me try to, you know, give back some of this knowledge. And, and if I can help some kids to have a better time on the court, be happier on the court, regardless of their goals, then, okay, then, then this all served a purpose at least. So and that's where originally then I said, okay, I'll get into coaching. So, and that's where. And is that when started. you moved to Atlanta or you were already training in Atlanta? I was already training and I'd already committed to, to living here at some point. Yeah. A few yeah. years in, I said, I'm, I'm just going to stay. And so you were, um, were you working as a private, you were working as a private coach individually, uh, with a, with a team where were, were you at a tennis center? What were you doing? So I, I originally, which will lead into where, you know, I think everything really took off was I, one of my first jobs actually was traveling with Riley Opelka, um, you know, who's now, you know, 17 in the world. He was just, he had just turned pro. He's 18 years old. He needed someone to travel with. Uh, and so, you know, his, his current coach was also working with another player who just had a different ranking. So they needed someone to help, you know, while there were different tournaments and they gave me the call, but he was just, he had just gotten started playing pro as we start talking there's not a lot of money when you're just starting to play pro yeah and so i said okay i'll start and then i got offered a job at a country club here in atlanta to run at a, a cherokee town and country club where you know running the junior program salary benefits everything i'm like money i'm in the green <laughs> great I, I'm, I said right look we, we did a month and i'm like look i i've had a lot of fun but my bank account really needs this job and, and it's in tennis so i thought well it's tennis. This it isn't financial. It's not corporate, right? It's a little different. So it's got to be a lot of fun. So I'll, I'll try it out. And then uh, that's, that's where that part got started. Yeah. So. And then I know that, uh, you know, being that I, I was living in Orlando at the time where we have uh, the USTA uh, National Tennis Center there now, uh, you came down a few times. Uh, you, were you on the, tell me what your role, you, you were like a USTA coach or something so that ended up happening after the the cherokee town and country club so you know i spent a year and a half working at the cherokee town and country club found it wasn't quite my fit there there's just again you know it it's amazing what you learn just just doing different jobs it's you can be in in the area of the stuff you like to do but there's still jobs within that area that Mm -hmm. doesn't fit what you want to do so you know I started to just kind of have some conversations with other people about what else was out there. And it turned out Riley uh, was, again, looking for a coach again. He, mm. was, he was changing coaches. And, but this time it was different because he had already reached 120 in the world. He had his sponsors. And uh, the United States Tennis Association said, you know, we would love to hire you as one of our independent contractors to actually travel with Riley. So it was more secure. Financially, it was a lot better than before. And they said, you'll be traveling at least 30 weeks a year. And, but, you know, Riley's ranking was already proven before when he had just started. And I just said, you know what? I had always believed in Riley. I believed, you know, he, he's still moving his way up. I could still be a top 10, top five player in the world. And you're just getting started. So all I asked was, can my wife travel with me to some of these tournaments? And they said, yes, whenever she wants. So oh, awesome. obviously, you know, she knows she's not going to get in the way. And so I said, okay, great. 
let's start this new journey in this different area of tennis, traveling with a pro, and let's see where it takes us. So yeah, yeah. so you started that, and um, and he was about 120 or so when you started working with him. Then. So he he gotten up to 120, fallen to about 240. Mm. So he was actually going backwards, uh, but he was still only 19, turning 20 that year. So yeah. he's still very very young, and yeah, that's so we got started right at. 240 and he was in january of 2018 so yeah 2018 and then he begins to rise and by the way speaking of rise this guy's what like six how tall is he seven, uh seven feet he's seven feet tall it's crazy because and how tall is john isner six ten so he's taller than john isner yeah about an inch yeah so uh i've never stood by i was i went to one of his matches but i never stood next to him but i was once next to john isner yeah and he was pretty tall so i can't imagine a guy but it's funny because i look at how tall are you five nine Five nine, right? A pretty average, I mean, yeah, right? No. And uh, and I see pictures of you like with Riley, like when he wins a tournament, and I'm like, dang, that guy's like a giant, you yeah. know? <laughs> like, yeah. So, uh, but anyway, um, no. So he he was rising in the rankings uh, through those years, and then, you know, I, this is weird because uh, in the last two years, uh, almost every one of my podcast uh, now has a COVID moment in it, right? So, um, so just like everything else, um, tennis gets shut down. And by the way. Uh, Again, just a personal uh, selfish moment for me here. I was, uh, I was so looking forward. I was actually going to go out and visit my brother who lives out, who at the time was living in Southern California at a, in Santa Monica. And I was going to see my new nephew, who at that time would have been two months old. And I hadn't met him yet. And um, I was going to go in March. And it was great because I was like, oh, Indian Wells. I can go to, finally, I can go to Indian yeah. Wells. And I'm texting with you because like, I was going to go like, in the second week. And it was like, I don't know, it was like March 8th or something, whatever that Sunday night was. And you're like, I'm out here. I'm in Indian Wells with Riley. And they just, like all the players are here and they just canceled the tournament. And I was like, what, what's going on? Why did they cancel? Because you know, the NBA just canceled. So anyway, that was the moment. Tell us about from that moment forward, um, you know, what that next eight, nine months was like, whatever. Well, I, I think for tennis, it was much longer yeah. than, than a lot of other sports, you know, at least in, in our country here, which was, you know, we had the shutdown, everything was shut down. I think we started up again later that August, you know, at that, the first tournaments in Cincinnati and New York. Well, they were all in New York, so there was just two weeks of tournaments there. And, but for us, you know, we, we were granted, you know, special permission to enter every country. Uh, we always had to have special papers to get in and, and this is like pre-vaccine and everything. Oh yeah. 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 They, I mean, this was, you know, you're still kind of a little nervous around people at first, no one immigration line, no one on the planes. I mean, I remember flying home from, from, from Melbourne and there were 25 people on that flight. Wow. You can imagine a plane that big. So everything was like this airports were empty, planes were empty, but we were traveling. But the problem was every time we went to a new country, Every time we were not allowed to leave the hotel and we were not allowed to leave the tennis courts. Like they had security so that you could not even cross the street. You could like wow. sometimes you wouldn't even go out and get fresh air because you just didn't know if they were going to throw you out of the tournament and out of the country, which happened to a player uh, in Canada last year. So that's so, why. So let's let's go because uh, I remember I feel like I remember a little of this. Let's let's maybe give you the Australian Open as an example. Did that happen in January of 2020? 2021 as yeah. normal? Yeah. Um, and how far in advance did you have to fly to Australia before the tournament? Two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, you know, the two-week quarantine, right? Yeah. So did you have to literally stay in your hotel room for two weeks? Well, some people did. We got really lucky. So 
originally the plan was everyone, you're going to have to go two weeks early. You're in like this bubble where you were only going from the tournament to the courts, but you were allowed five hours outside a day. So, you know, I think it was like two hours of training, an hour to eat, uh, an hour of fitness, and then 30 minutes in the car there and back. That was your five hours. But then I guess what wasn't very... Are you getting tested every day? Every day. Every day you're getting tested. Every day, some sort of test. So, you know, and... Guess what, what wasn't very clear was well, what happens if someone tests positive upon arrival? Mm. You know, because everyone needs a test, but you know, you can have one test negative and then two days later you're, you know, because I think the rule is 72 hours before at the time, because you could, back then you couldn't get a COVID test within a day. Like you needed yeah. two to three days. So it's 72 hour rule. Well, anyways, a couple planes had people that tested positive upon arrival. You know, they tested negative at home, they get on the plane and they test positive. Originally, what we were told was they were going to separate everyone on the plane. So, like, I had my own row on this huge plane, which was fantastic, so that then they could only just put the people that were within that small little area in quarantine, but the rest of the plane was fine. Well, they ended up deciding that they wanted to put the thanks to the new strain from England or South Africa, who knows, one of those. The entire plane had to go into quarantine for two weeks, just in case. Yeah. And. I think there were four planes, maybe five, where someone tested, I think, out of like 10. And so we were part of, fortunately, no one on our plane tested positive. But uh, when we first got there, there was so much confusion with all this because of the rules that I did spend the first three days inside the hotel room without leaving. Mm. And we were told on the third day, you're going to leave. Like, hey, it's okay. You're good to come out to practice. Not your practice at 9 a.m. You'll get picked up. And we sat there waiting. And that was actually kind of the worst because we're ready to leave. We're excited to leave, get some fresh air. Our hotel did not have windows. Oh. And 9 a.m., you know, they didn't have windows. Well, sorry, windows you could open. Windows like you could so, open. So, okay. yeah. And, you know, they're supposed to knock on your door and they lead you out. And no one knocked on our door. 9 a.m., 10 a.m., 11 a.m., 12 a.m. I'm calling the desk and everything. No answer, nothing. We're all kind of freaking out. We're like, so it was, <laughs> for us, it was tough. So, some people had to do a two-week quarantine. They finally let us out on the fourth day. But then we still, we couldn't leave this bubble for, you know, two full weeks, yeah. you know. So. Anyway, it's got to be challenging just kind of going, but it's also got to be weird. What was it like as, so you're a coach, um, and a lot of those early tournaments, I assume, including the Australian Open, there were no um, fans, right? No spectators, no. No spectators. No. But were you allowed to be sitting there as a spectator for your when your yeah. player was playing? Yeah, I could be there. I think they allowed some people for the Australian Open, if I remember. Maybe the, like very sparsely. For the, yeah, very, very sparsely. Um, but what well, was it like sitting in some... I remember, like, I feel like I saw some picture or video of you, like, you're like, oh, there's Jay Wise, like, watching yeah. Riley, you know. It's maybe you and maybe, what was it Jay Berger or something? Uh, the, well, the physio, Jay didn't fly down yeah. to that one, yeah. So, but what was it like um, to just be in the stadium watching a match with... Nobody else in it. It was weird. Well, and the, the, the weirder part, um, which was just so crazy, you know, the whole thing with the two-week quarantine was then you could be free in Australia, right? You know, they've, they've had their, their ways of dealing with things. And, uh, you know, I guess there was some small outbreak. So I, I, was, I was helping also Taylor Fritz at the time. Um, and so Taylor Fritz was playing a night match against Novak Djokovic. And so they were actually, they had let fans in already for the Australian Open. And there, there's people in the crowd, but they had put a 12 o'clock curfew. So everyone had to leave by 12 o'clock, mm. I think. Yeah. And they're about to go into the fifth set. And, you know, they're, they told everyone you have to go home, you know, go home and we could stay and watch, you know, because we're part of the team. And no one wanted to leave. 
you know, the fans were like, no, we're here. Let's watch the rest of the match and we'll go home at one. Whatever. What's the difference? Well, anyway, they stopped the entire match. Wow. And mid-match, you go from having fans to then, go, like, all these people have to be escorted out for, like, 10, 15 minutes. And now you're playing just dead silence for, for in the stadium that can hold, I think, 15,000 people. That was the most eerie thing, like, ever. Because even if you whisper to your team, everyone it was just echoed in the whole stadium. Wow. That, that, was, a, that was an experience. That was yeah, something. okay. So then tennis finally – and by the way, tennis had, you know, like you said – it's different from a lot of other sports coming back because it was also it involved international travel for all the players, for all the countries in so many different circumstances and so many different laws and everything. So it's very complicated. But tennis, uh, the world's kind of returned somewhat back to normal now as we're talking. So yeah. things are pretty back to normal. I was at the Miami Open. Uh, was that in March? Um, that was really awesome. That was the first time I was at the new facility, and it was and it was full. It was packed, yeah. um, and so it was nice to see everybody uh, back. But uh, uh, so then you now, uh, some news for JY. Uh, so you, you've helped get Riley back. He's, he's now what? He's ranked like 17 in the world? He's 17, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty. Number two American? Number two. He's number one at one point. Yeah, yeah. number two now. Yeah, so uh, uh, you uh, and your wife just had, congratulations, by the way, that your first child in January or December? Yeah, December 30th. December. Yeah, oh, yeah we've uh, talked about this because, such a- you know, you and I both have great tennis birthdays, yeah. junior tennis, uh, January birthdays. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 you know, we always have December birthdays and literally like the second to last day of the year, yeah. uh, your son was born. Uh, so um, in anticipation of that, because obviously it takes, you know, you, you knew well in advance uh, when, when uh, he was going to be born, um, you probably start thinking about this crazy life traveling the entire world with, you know, one of the top tennis players in the world. Uh, this probably is going to be a little challenging to raise a family this way. Um, and uh, so tell us a little bit about um, maybe some career changes and also life changes with having a baby and being a father. Yeah. So look at, you know, we had a great run with Riley from 240 to 17 or 18 and uh, whatever we got to when we were together. And but it was just so much travel and I missed so much time already with my wife already as a, as a player and as a coach. And I just said, look, the one thing I, I want to make sure I do well is I want to be a good father, uh, a good husband as well that helps my wife. And we, we tried to figure out some ways where maybe like she could travel with the baby. I mean, Riley was like, yeah, you can bring the baby whenever you want. But just logistically, I was like, this is just going to be impossible. So, you know, I let them know, like, look, I'm, I'm not going to travel next year. Uh, meaning this year, this year, this year now. So, you know, I let him know last year and, you know, but then I had to think, well, what am I going to do at home? Because the life of a tennis coach, well, everyone takes tennis lessons in the morning or late in the afternoon. So if I continue that lifestyle, I'm never going to see my baby because I'll be home by the time he's sleeping and I'll leave by the time he's waking up. So I said, the only way I can stay in tennis is somehow I find something different, but there was nothing different. Like either, at least on the coaching side. And so that's where I just started thinking like, if I don't figure out something, I'm going to have to leave tennis completely. Because I knew one thing for sure was with my experiences and, and, you know, at the country club and then working in finance was, you know, at all these places, most people have jobs that take them away all day long. And I never wanted to go back to that. I mm-hmm. wanted to have some sort of control of my schedule. If my wife needed, be, me, needed me to be home within an hour, even though it wasn't planned, I wanted to have that flexibility because to me, family comes first. Yeah. And I said, I'm never going, as long as I have the power, I'm never going back to that if I can. And so I spent quite a few months trying to figure out, well, what am I going to do? And I just started to, you know, and I'll go back to this. And this is 
you know, I've been listening to your podcast for years and, and all these people uh, and you as well who have left their old jobs and started their own companies, you know, become entrepreneurs. And I just kept thinking, wow, it's just so cool. But like, what do I, how can I do that in tennis? Like, I don't, I, yeah, I want to be an entrepreneur and control my schedule, but there's nothing like this in tennis. So what do I do? You know, yes, I can try to just teach privately, but then if it rains, I don't make money. And, but then I still have to go teach at crazy hours. I'm like, I, so like, I need to figure something out. And just within thinking about, I was still working with some, some kids at home when I would come back from traveling with Riley and just asking them a lot of questions about, okay, what have you been doing when I've been gone? What has your academy been doing for you? What's your training been like? Um, I started to see at least two, two things that were missing, uh, which was one, none of these kids were having their coaches come watch their matches. And so no one was ever actually reviewing their, their competition. And no one was actually helping them structure their development, their, their training, their life, their week. What's it supposed to be like if you're trying to be a high-level tennis player? Um, and I just remember being frustrated all the time because I couldn't do anything about it because I was traveling with Riley. And I'm like, man, but there's nothing I could do. I got to hit the road. I'll see you guys in six weeks. Um, so I said, okay, well, maybe I can try to do something in this area. Well, what can I do? I'm like, well, I don't want to do a full-time academy because, again, that's going to be too much time. So what do I do? And so I looked at some of the things that we were doing with Riley, and basically he, every match of his was being recorded with a camera. Now, you know, they were being televised, but – you know, all the matches were going on a platform. I spoke to, to the, the owner of the platform, which is, uh, well, the owner of the company that uploads the matches to Dartfish. It's a huge software program. And they do this specifically for the professional tennis players? Well, I thought it was only for the pros. Mm -hmm. And then I just kind of started looking for their website, and I saw that they had some junior academy packages. So I'm like, well, this is really interesting. So I called him. I'm like, hey, so you guys do this stuff for kids? And he's like, yeah, we can do this for any tennis match that's recorded, actually. And I was like, oh, wow. And I just needed a GoPro and or any type of camera like that and I could upload to them and then you know then I could start watching these kids playing their matches and then I could actually see what was going on because in the past they were telling me what to work on based on what happened in the tournaments but how is someone who doesn't know the sport supposed to tell me what they need to do yeah but that was actually the structure of every academy since they never went, the parents and the kid had to somehow tell them what to work on. And that's what the coach did. And I did that too when I first started the country club because I was never going to the tournaments. I fell into that same structure. But I, I would never do that with Riley. I was at every match. So I'm like, how can there be such a disconnect just because one's a kid, one's a pro? And then I looked at every other sport. Coaches are at hockey games, football games, basketball games, baseball games. Every, they're everywhere. But tennis, nowhere to be found. So I said, okay, what if I can create a, you know, a business, a program where I hit those two problems where, you know, they, we, we get a camera, there's already a camera mount specifically for tennis courts. They mount the camera, they upload it to tennis analytics. They, they upload the match to me on the Dartfish software. They give me some statistics and then I can go over the match and review with them based on that. Then I actually see what they actually need to work on as opposed to what they think they need to work on. And then I can help guide them on, okay, well, what should your training be like? How many days a week should you practice? How many tournaments? What tournaments do you play? When do you play? When do you train? When do you go on vacation? There's a time to actually do all this that if you do it right, you know, then your vacations don't actually hurt you. They help you, you know, because they give you a break at the right time and a break is actually needed for everybody, you know, not, not just in tennis. So I gave it a shot. 
you know, I said, if this works, well then, you know, some, a good part of my work is actually on a computer at home. Mm -hmm. Most of these kids actually can't do these reviews until after school or after practice, which is a little bit later in the evening. So I can actually be at home during the day and help be a parent. And, and then for the few kids that are in person, you know, I made sure to limit myself how many people I work with in person so I could just also work with at home. But then for those I worked with in person, I really knew exactly what to work on because they were recording their matches. Yeah. And sometimes I do go to the matches and I'm there in person, but I can't be everywhere. I work with more than just one kid. So, you know, if multiple kids are playing on one day, which is what would happen to academies, they go watch one kid, well, they miss everyone else. Well, I don't yeah. miss it now because they're all recording the match. So yeah. I still get to see all the kids at some point, and now we can be really effective on what to work on. And I'm covering the area that is not being hit, you know, with the academies. You know? you know, it's funny. You say something here, and I grew up playing junior tennis, too, and I can think back. And, you know, my dad was my coach throughout the whole thing as well, but we also went to a lot of other coaches during the, during the years. Um, and I could think when, you're, when you started explaining this concept, I was like, yeah. They were almost never at my matches unless it was a really big tournament and they were there for not just me but a bunch of other kids. Yeah. Um, and, they might, and they might see a set or a few games or whatever, um, but they definitely weren't seeing all my matches or most of my tournaments. And, you know, junior tennis, you play a lot of tournaments, right? So, um, but, that's, but, but, but then when you just sat here and compared it to other sports, uh, when I played, you know, I played soccer when I was a little kid. Uh, I mean, it's, it's essential to have the coach there. You couldn't have the game without the coaches. Um, you know, football would be the same. Basketball would be the same. Um, all these sorts of things. So, yeah, so that's really interesting. You, you really point out something that's missing in the world of tennis, particularly junior tennis. Uh, the coaches are primarily not at the, most of the tournaments for the kids they're coaching. And we think, you know, and it's kind of weird for people who maybe are outside the tennis lifestyle or what that's like competing, um, they might not even get that this is like a concept. Now, high school tennis, the t you were part of a team and the coach was always there as well. But, you know, for the most part, uh, most high schools, the, the high school tennis coaches are not like the best coaches out there available, right? Yeah. There could be a teacher. It, or they most could, margin yeah. teachers, yeah. Or they could be like a pro hired by, you know, a local, a local pro kind of hired by a school or something like that. So, but with that said, you know, that's, that's different, but most of your uh, tennis, your really high level stuff is not in high school. It's, it's the USTA tournaments and things like that. And so that's really interesting. But what I also like what you said when I heard there is you, you identified, um, first of all, something that's missing, but you also identified like a problem, right? And that's what entrepreneurs do. Like we're, uh, entrepreneurs are problem solvers. Um, that's when I, when I've been, you know, as you know, you know, you've listened to many of my podcasts and, uh. I, we, as I've listened to all these entrepreneurs over the years, um, that's one thing I noticed, like they zero in on a problem to solve. So you're solving a problem. Um, maybe you're going to be a trendsetter now. Maybe a lot of other coaches might follow this if you're, um, you know, successful at it. Um, but, uh, going back to it, I, so I've, a few things I've also noticed from you. Um, so you, you, you're, you've got a newsletter, which is great. I subscribe to it. And so whether you've are actually like in the tennis world or got a kid in tennis or whatever. I actually think JY's newsletter is really good. Um, and people can get it. How, what's the website? Uh, abonatennis.com. Abonatennis.com. Right yeah. You go there, you, you can click and subscribe to the newsletter. How often well, does it come? When there's two, right? So, so I have, the, I have the, the regular blog that anyone can read that. I, okay. that's just, they're, they're all free, but one I just post for everyone. And then there's one that's for subscribers, but also free where sometimes there I just go more into my own thoughts as opposed to trying to like, teach something about junior tennis 
Um, and that one's also free. That's the coach's diary. Yeah. And what I love reading about that, because a lot of times you focused a lot on mindset and I see so many parallels, like things that you're talking about that are for tennis. I'm like, oh, this could apply to like so many career fields, not just tennis. Like just, it could be, uh, you're talking about coaching and it could apply to coaches I might need outside, you know, in, in career coaching or something like that. So a lot of your things I think are very applicable across different fields. But of course, if you're in the tennis world, it's very specific to that as well. Uh, so that's great. And I love seeing that. And, um, and then also, uh, you know, with that, you, you've you got, you know, you're on Instagram. What is your Instagram account? Abone Tennis. Abone yeah. Tennis as well. So this is very easy. Abone Tennis. Uh, yeah. A-U-B-O-N-E. Abone Tennis. And, uh, um, but also, I saw something recently the other day. <laughs> and I think I sent you a message because you did a little quick, maybe you posted, you know, so you sit there, as you just said, with the, pl- the young player. And you've got, you've analyzed their match th- through... Uh, watching it through the cameras that are, are put there on the court and you're able to, to kind of, you know, analyze their game and their match play, most mm-hmm. importantly. Because yeah. anybody, not anybody, but, you know, you could work on, you know, a forehand and getting it great or whatever, every single shot, you know, hitting a forehand down the line, whatever. But once you actually get into a match, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. Right? You got another person there, you're playing against, strategy, everything, um, even just in between uh, points, right? Like how your demeanor is and how you're talking to yourself. Yeah. So you can like, you can now observe all of that and then you get on, um, uh, I guess a zoom call or something yep. with the player, maybe sometimes in person if you're lucky, but, uh, you put a little 30 second clip of you talking to your young player. And what I observed was, what did you tell him? You told, this is the one you told him something about, it's not about winning matches today. It's it's about improving your game. And yeah. tell me tell me about how that one went. Yeah. So you know, kids need to understand where they are, where, which is you know, to, to get wherever you want to get to. Anyway, whatever your goal is, well, you still have to get better. You know, your, your technique needs to improve. Your strategy needs to improve. Your decision making needs to improve. Um, so you know, you're willing to sacrifice a few more losses in junior tennis because if you if you if you just have good intentions. You know, you don't have the muscle memory to execute really well, but that doesn't mean it was the wrong shot to hit. The, you still have to hit it. And the more reps you get at it, the better you're going to get at it. And then at some point when it really matters when you're older and you're getting close to being recruited for college or, or you're already playing college, then you have the, the right amount of repetitions in. So I just gave him a comparison. Like, look, you, you're not a pro. You're not playing Wimbledon. You know, Wimbledon starting a couple of days. I'm like, you're not playing Wimbledon. Those guys, their strengths and weaknesses are what they are. They can't risk changing anything. It's too big of a tournament. So they wait for other training blocks. I'm like, for you, the next four years are a training block. There's no tournament that matters more than your development. And that, that's hard because, you know, he thought he was playing a big tournament. And to me, I could care less because if he doesn't get better, he'll never achieve whatever goal he wants. So he, one, one of the blogs I wrote, which was, you know, you can actually win and get worse and you can lose and get better. Mm. And that's a hard concept because imagine telling, you know, a parent that your, your child got an F, but they're actually getting smarter. They're yeah. learning. It, so it's different. Like, it, you know, losing isn't an F in tennis. Um, there's a way that you can lose that a coach knows. And, you know, that's one of the things I do is I try to educate the parent for when they're watching, you know, are they trying to do the right things? And if they lose, and then, then you can actually you should be proud of them, because yeah. they they're, they're thinking big, they're thinking long term, rather than too many parents that are thinking win now. Today's so important, putting so much pressure on it. So yeah, he was kind of like, yeah. No, I mean, no one likes to lose, but at the same time, like this is the same thing for all entrepreneurs, any business person. Um, you don't want to you don't want to fail. You don't want to lose. You want to win today. You want the bucks coming in now. 
Um, you want, you know, you want the success today, but as we've seen with all these different entrepreneurs I've had on and any entrepreneur I've ever met, they, it's a long journey, right? And what I love about what you were telling that young player was basically like, you know, yeah, I mean, you're, you're going to learn through hitting all those shots. Now you're going to learn. It's not about the win today. It's about the win three, four years from now, especially if you're 12, 13 years old, right? Whatever they were. Um, and I remember that I could hear that player kind of trying to react to you. And I go, okay. okay. Like, and I, and I sent you a, a DM and I was like, I don't think he liked, uh, I don't think he liked you telling him that, but, but it was a really good lesson. It was also challenging for parents because they're putting so much money and time and they want, nobody wants to see their kid lose. The kid loses. They come home. They're not happy. Right. Yeah. Also, some parents might have bragging, you know, rights, yeah. you know, over over their uh, uh, other friends. Well, and right? I think the biggest one you said is the financial cost. Like mm-hmm. it, it's, you know, any sport is some some sports are cheaper than others. Tennis is probably one of the more expensive ones because there's also a lot of traveling. You know, you're spending all of this money on your child and then they might lose these matches. And you're like, well, you know, there goes that, I don't know, an entire weekend away at a tournament. Maybe, you know, somewhere between six to a thousand dollars. I don't know. Um and they lose first round, you're just like, I just wasted all that money. Mm-hmm. And actually, sometimes it's actually totally worth it. And that's actually just part of the process. Like like with entrepreneurs, like failing is part of the process. I think you put yeah. something out about Thomas Edison, right? And he said like, no, I, I didn't fail. I just found 10,000 ways to do it wrong. You know, yeah. so now I know what not to do. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the same thing when you're developing as a player. Yeah, and, and the other thing you were saying uh, there a few minutes ago was uh, you, were, you were telling the player, you got to get your reps in. You got to yeah. get that consistency. Uh, you've read Atomic Habits by James Clear. Yeah. 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 Obviously one of my favorite books, people hear me, I've used it in my classes that I've taught. And, uh, um, you know, he actually has that term where he's talking about get your reps in for habits. Yeah. So he's telling people like, it's just that consistency over time. But like, this is, you know, like you, you were talking about muscle memory for a tennis player, or any kind of athlete. Um, you know, yeah, you're going to, you might miss that shot right now, but you know, that's the right shot to hit. Just keep, you know, keep getting your reps in is what you said. And so I think that was uh, really good. But again, all these things are relative. You can go both ways, right? You can take the entrepreneurial mindset and apply it to, uh, to a young tennis player. But you could also take what you're teaching to a young tennis player and apply it to any kind of entrepreneurship. That's kind of what I see. Well, and it, everything, everything is about the mindset. Like the actual way of doing anything is, is usually relatively simple when you boil it down to it. It, it's it's the mindset that pushes us forward or holds us back you know we mm-hmm. get in our own way a lot of the time and you know so for a lot of these kids it, it really they're all working hard but their their mind is just all over the place and their support system though they have good intentions they're using words that are actually putting a lot more pressure on the kid even though they're not doing it on purpose so you know a lot about it is just you, know, you need to have the right mindset you know no matter what you do there, there's there's a certain way to go about things and that's that's a non-negotiable about anything uh, that when you're trying to be successful, so yeah, it is pretty universal, and I think for a lot of these kids, it's uh, you know it's hard to. Get well, um, Jy, one of the other iterations for me in my life is is you know I started this community called Fearless Journeys, uh, where we the, my main uh, purpose in that is to help people build an entrepreneurial mindset. And one other thing I got to tell the audience is uh, you are one of the featured innovators in the community. Um, I invited a lot of my previous podcast guests to be on, so I'm very thankful that you've done that. And so uh, in the future here, we're going to um, we're gonna bring JY on a group coaching session. So people who are paid members of the community will have access to do like an interactive, you know, live session with him over Zoom. Um, maybe we'll do some fun things in person too. And um, uh, and so we're, we've been doing that with a lot of things. We've also been reading a lot of books. Um, I mean, we read, we read James Clear's Atomic Habits uh, late last year. So, and we, we bring on different authors and others 
who just are fans of those books to uh, to come on and lead a live uh, session to talk about the themes from the book. So uh, anyway, grateful that you're part of the community uh, as a featured innovator. And um, and also, you know, the other thing is, you know, you're, I, I love your enthusiasm for uh, listening to podcasts and reading as well. Sometimes it's not even, you know, stuff in the Fearless Journeys community. You sometimes share with me other things you're reading or you're always looking for recommendations. So I can tell you're always trying to grow yourself and build uh, your own mindset. And that's going to, you know, have reverberations, I think, for the people you're teaching. But tell me a little bit about, because um, you've listened to so many uh, episodes of, of this podcast. So I'm so yeah. grateful you've done that. But um, how has um, listening to some of the guests on a pod, and look, uh, whether you want to listen to Agents of Innovation podcasts or, or other things out there, there's, there's so many entrepreneurs and others that we can learn from. But how's that, how's that helped uh, impact you? Well, the biggest way is, you know, almost every other podcast, you know, their guests are, they try to get the most famous big time CEOs or these huge companies. And, and so you think that if your idea doesn't change the world, then, you know, go pu as a public IPO, then it's not a good idea. And, and actually listening to all the entrepreneurs that you had, I just found like, you know, you can still have your own business and, and pay your bills and support your family and, and do something simple and small. And, and maybe you never go IPO, but you're still controlling your own life, your own schedule, and you're doing what you love to do and the way you want to do it. And, and you get to bring the people around you that you want. And so that's what actually got me to start thinking actually something a little smaller, something a little simpler. Um, where before I kept trying to think about, well, 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 what restaurant concept or what tech concept or this app that no one's thought about in, in areas that I had no knowledge of in the first place. So of course I get frustrated and give up and move on to something else. And so, and so that's where it just helped me. And every one of these entrepreneurs, they started something within their own background, their own knowledge, their own hobbies. So that's what got me thinking, well, what's my, you know, what do I love to do? What have I spent the most amount of time on is tennis. So I just started thinking about, well, what do I want to help in tennis? I, I love helping kids. I got so upset seeing all these kids failed by the structure of their academies and their development that, and I got so upset thinking that they're not failing because they're not good enough. They're just not failing because this, their structure isn't good enough. So I want to help that. And, that, and that's how it started. So I helped, that's where it brought me all back to something simpler. And well, here I am. I mean, I've been, what, eight months at it now. And I mean, I'm still in business, you know, yeah. I'm still alive. So I've been paying my bills and it's been great. And I, you know, I'm extremely happy. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, it's great to see that and hear that. And it uh, makes me feel like it's worth, uh, you know, doing the podcast, even if, even if you were my only listener. I actually, I, <laughs> you know, I was actually saying for, for years and, and kind of still believe this, that uh, even if I, even if no one was listening to my podcast, the fact that I was able to, I'm, I've been able to sit down and have you know 112, 15 conversations with uh, with all these people one on one. Um, I learn every time and I get inspired. Honestly, part of the reason I started Fearless Journeys was after you sit down with like 80, 90 entrepreneurs, you know, every single one of them, you walk away and go, man, I wish I was doing something like that. I wish I was doing something like that. But you're right. It's like I there's most of those people that on that I've had. I could never actually do what they're doing because uh, either it's not my passion, it's not my experience, it's not my expertise. But how can I use the um, kind of the their example uh, and model that for something I am passionate about with uh, something I do have expertise in, um, and then and then go go do it right. Just 
you know, entrepreneurs are doers. They're just they're people that take action, right? You're, you've taken action multiple times um, to do it. You've also followed your passion and your love and, and all that. And you've also done it by keeping your priorities in check, right? I mean, you, uh, you know, uh, I think just when you're engaged and trying to figure out how can I spend more time with my future wife yeah. um, and all that. And then when you, um, you know, your wife became pregnant later and, okay, I, I got to be a dad now. I got to be present. Uh, how can I structure? So I think being able to also keep that, uh, those values, like your personal values in check with your career values um, and your career opportunities. I think that's great. So I'm uh, looking forward to the next iteration of JY. The other thing um, I loved about what you said, though, was thinking in thinking smaller, yeah. more focus, uh, smaller steps, um, because that's actually, I think, what everything... And, you know, like going back to James Clear, that's what he talks about. Like when you're building a habit, you know, for example, I might have a student in, in one of my classes. Okay, what do you want? Like, tell me your your dream habits. Like, who's the person you want to be? Oh, I want to be a person that does 100 push-ups every day. Okay, well, James Clear actually has that example in the book. Like, uh, you, if you go from zero to, like, trying to do 100 push-ups every day, like, by, by day three, you're probably going to be done because you're going to be like, oh, my God, 100 push-ups is a lot. But if you're like, hey... Let's start with 10 push-ups every day, and then I become a person that does push-ups every day. Yeah. Or uh, a writer, he says, you know, maybe um, that's why in his little habit journal, he actually has a one line per day, just to get you thinking about writing something down yeah. one line per day. Then after you do that, probably for several months, maybe you advance past one line a day, maybe you advance to a paragraph a day. And then maybe you advance to a, a, a page a day or something like that if you want to be somebody who journals or writes every day. So there's like, yeah, you got to start small. And, um, and I, yeah, by the way, I love this concept with the, uh, the camera and teaching the kids and with the technology opportunities we have with technology now. Yeah. It presents more opportunities than it did even in the past. Um, but uh, JY, is there anything here um, I'm missing? Uh, because I, it's, been, it's been a really in, very interesting journey that you've been on, um, and uh, is there any any other th uh, final things you want to say? Yeah, I, well, I don't know if this is a, a mean thing, but I, I do want to thank you know the corporate structure, you know this this <laughs> relentlessness to just keep you in the office, and you have to show up at this time, and you have to leave at this time, and you know to kind of make me frustrated enough to know that like you know I don't want to go back to that. And I think after years of doing that, and I didn't even do it that many years, there's a lot more people that have stayed longer in, in, in corporate America until they finally changed, or some are still in it, and they just can't find a way out, and it's tough. So thank you to them for making me miserable, to be honest. And just, I'll never forget that experience. It was a great experience. I don't regret it at all doing it because I learned about a different way of life, and I learned, you know, at least like Thomas Edison, some ways to not do things, some ways to not live my life. and. I kid you not, I think about that every day. Well, you know, it's really interesting because, you know, I don't know if uh, most people listening to this podcast or just most people in general that, that work, probably work for someone else and probably work for, um, you know, in some kind of corporate structure, maybe a nine to five job. But the benefit of that, right, is it's, it's, it's security it, it, to some degree. It's, uh, it's maybe uh, comes with, you know, health insurance. It comes with uh, all sorts of benefits, maybe a retirement plan. Mm -hmm you know, all sorts of things. And so I think a lot of people who are in that structure, they may not totally love the job. Some probably do, whatever they're doing. They might like it. They might like their colleagues. They might like, maybe they got a great boss and, you know, whatever that instills good leadership in their culture. Um, but they may not love it totally. And they might wish they're doing something else, but they're maybe 
maybe afraid or it's just they don't want to, you know, there's more of an uncertainty by going out on your own and being an entrepreneur um, or doing something, you know, entrepreneurship creates some freedom, but it, as I was telling somebody yesterday, it creates freedom, yeah. but it creates a ton of responsibility too, yeah. right? It's all the responsibilities on you and not everybody wants all of that. Um, and they maybe want a little more security, even though you could probably be laid off at any time at any yeah. job too. But can you, can you just talk about, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on that? Cause you, you seem to not like the corporate structure for all the, you know, a, a lot of different reasons. Maybe a lot of people don't, but you were willing to say kind of like, screw this, <laughs> I'm going to go do something else. But w what about, w what is it about you that might be different than somebody that says, mm, I'd rather have the security of the corporate structure. Well, I think, you, and I think this goes directly to maybe the people managing these corporate structures is you can be in a corporate structure, but then, you know, the role you're given is actually like, okay, yes, these are the times we'd love for you to be here, but they have more freedom within that same role. Mm -hmm. So like if I'm within a corporate structure and I'm given a role, but then, you know, I was, everything I was being told was always changed the way, the way they actually wanted to do it. Well, I had no freedom now. I was actually mm -hmm. doing whatever they wanted me to do. So I couldn't innovate at all. I couldn't have my own thought process. So I know there, there are a lot of companies where it's like, you know, you, here you are at this job and they tell you, these are the things we want you to do. And this is the objective. Do it however you want. Just turn it in by Friday. They yeah. don't over, you know, they're not double checking you, overworking you. And it's just, and so that there is freedom within that. So it depends what your corporate structure is like. And if you don't want to leave, then maybe ask for a little bit more freedom, something to get them to kind of get off your back a little bit. Yeah, you know, one thing um, I've heard some people say is, you know, when you're either getting a new job or maybe at a point where you're asking for a promotion or you've been there long enough and you want to ask for things, uh, maybe ask for time off. Like if you're somebody who likes to take, likes to travel like me, maybe say, hey, uh, you know, one thing I, I'd like, instead of asking for a raise or something like that, maybe I'm going to ask for, hey, I know you normally come with, you know, two weeks of paid vacation. Could I take four weeks, whether maybe... Maybe it's not all paid or, you know, whatever, or maybe opportunities to work remote. Like yeah. nowadays, a lot of people work remote because of COVID. But I remember uh, 2014, 2015, actually somewhere around that period, um, I was still, you know, working at the James Madison Institute in Tallahassee. And I just started noticing that when I was traveling, I traveled a lot for my job. But when I was back in the office, I got so much less done because I had like, I was inundated by everybody asking me, coming to my office, asking me questions, the phone ring and all these other things. And, um, you know, I needed to be present with my colleagues at some point, but I, you know, when I was back in the office, but like every day was, so I asked my boss, I said, Hey, could I work from home when I'm in Tallahassee? What can I work from home one day a week? And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm also going to ask you, I'm not going to make it Monday and I'm not going to make it Friday because <laughs> then you're going to think I'm trying to take a three day week and I'll make it Thursdays. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I didn't even work from home every Thursday because there were some Thursdays I was like, you know, I actually need to be in the office today to, for whatever. Maybe there was a meeting or something. But uh, my boss, you know, I did a good job, uh, I think, <laughs> uh, well enough at least, and um, that he was able to, he said, yeah, sure, as long as there, you know, there's no other reason to be in the office, uh, yeah, work from home on Thursdays if you want. Great. Well, you know, then, uh, you know, then the next year it was, Hey, can I move to Orlando? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so, uh, anyway, but I think that if, as long as you can, I think prove to your employer yep. that you can still be effective and it, you know, the nine to five structure doesn't, um, it doesn't determine your effectiveness. 
Um, and my, my boss knew I worked more than 40 hours a week. I mean, I, I needed to, to be, to, uh, to really do that, you know, as a salaried position, you know, a lot of people are in that kind of role as well. So if you, um, you know, but Hey, I might work longer hours one day and take a few hours off another day and have the freedom, uh, to do that. If you, if you can do that in a, in a corporate structure, I think that's great too. It gives you more freedom, but, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, that job you were in, uh, that, that, there was no, uh, Morgan Stanley, there, there was probably no wiggle room for, for something like that, right? Well, and I, I was younger, so I, I didn't even think to think of that stuff. I always take that into account. I was much younger. I was 23, 24. And I should so. also say, when I was younger, I wouldn't have thought of that either, and I probably wouldn't have been in a position to have been, I haven't, ha, hadn't had the time to prove myself yet. Which is great, because if you're 23 years old and you listen to this podcast, well, maybe now you have a great idea on what to ask for next year, which maybe you won't get a raise, but maybe you can get something else that still benefits you, that makes you happy. Yeah. Um, and maybe you stay in that job long enough that you can actually move up into a different role that is actually better for you. And you didn't have to leave the company, you didn't have to leave your structure. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, there's a lot here we can continue talking about, JY, but uh, it's, been, it's been awesome to watch your journey. Uh, so we had you on episode two, um, you know, more than 110 episodes later, uh, we're back here. We're in Atlanta now this time. We're in person. We got new, new equipment. You've got uh, all your technology you're using with your players. You've got a, a wife and child. Uh, so you've got, a, you've got your hands full in a lot of ways. And also, by the way, once in a while, you're still going out with Riley or whoever, right? I mean, I just saw that he, you were in Houston with him in what, April? I was in Houston with him. So, you know, we just... He needed somebody. It's a, it's in the states. It's a short trip. You know, the international trips is when you have to leave so early because of yeah. jet lag. So, uh, I still sneak one in there when he needs some help, and his other coaches can't be. And there. he that was his first. He won the tournament. His yeah. first clay court championship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is uh, pretty amazing. So, uh, yeah, so that's great that you were with him for him, uh, uh, for him, uh, and with him there. And uh, yeah, I mean, I saw it. I was like, I was like, oh, JY's at that tournament. Oh, he won. I was like, well, of yeah. course he won. He got JY back, you know. So anyway, uh, all right. Well, this this has been a, a really great um, episode. Uh, and of course, for those of you who enjoy listening to this, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast with others, and um, and of course, if you want to be part of the Fearless Journeys community, you can connect with featured innovators like JY, and um, and you, we actually have a free newsletter as well. So if you go to fearlessjourneys.org, uh, was it forward slash subscribe? Um, you can actually sign up for the free newsletter there. And if you want to you know, become a member, there's a lot of great opportunities there too. So JY, uh, thank you for being an agent of innovation and for you're really, I mean, you're really innovating right there in that tennis world on so many levels. Um, so I think uh, we'll probably have you back at some point. I hope it's not another seven years. Hopefully, and hopefully it's something new, right? So yeah. I need to come up with something new to, to come back on. Well, we'll just keep seeing the, uh, the leveling up uh, going on here. And uh, thank you again for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Yeah, thanks. And thanks for, for doing all these podcasts because it helped me. So. Great.